And kiddos, get this. Your parents told me as they walked in here this morning that if you would pay attention and be able to tell them something about the sermon, they have a prize for you today, okay? I don't know what it is. They didn't tell me. But each of them promised if you would pay attention and know something about the sermon, they would have something special for you, okay? Okay? So, parents, you must now submit to your pastor, all right? Uh, hey, who, uh, parents, seriously, though, uh, relax. Things may be crazy. Uh, people around you may start crying. Uh, it might be very emotional today. Please just relax. Don't worry about it, okay? In fact, parents, if you need a coloring packet, um, there are some back at the back, and I mean for the kids, not for you, okay, Jaime? Uh, the coloring packet is for the kids. But back here in the back, you can go right now. There's some colors and a little coloring packet if that will help someone uh, stay focused. Um, it's okay. You can admit it. You can get up now and go get one if you, if you need one or your child needs one, okay? So go get the coloring packets. But as you're doing that, who might be able to, uh, who's already been paying attention in church and can tell me something that is uh, a bit unordinary up on the platform today? Something strange. A male, besides myself, yes. Thank you. Uh, a mailbox, right? There's a mailbox up here. What in the world is a mailbox doing here? Every week in our True Wonder class, raise your hand if you're in True Wonder, kids. Every week in our True Wonder class, there's a mailbox, and someone gets to come and open the mailbox. And I brought my own personal mailbox in here today. It was a lot of work getting that thing here. But uh, who wants to come up and open the mailbox for me? Someone in True Wonder. Okay, Cruz, come on up and open the mailbox for me and see what's in this deal, okay? Actually, I guess the flag should be down now, right? Hey, good jump. Hey, there is something in there. You can just hand it to me. Thank you. Thank you. Give him a, give him a round of applause for my helper, Cruz. Here, just a second. I'm going to send some of this mail back with your parents, okay? Because I have a feeling. I, don't, I actually brought some mail this week. Uh, I don't know about your house, but one of the things that happens in my house every afternoon that the mail comes is someone wants to go up and open the mailbox. You know, it's a bit of a, of a turf battle in my house. Who gets to open the mailbox? So I brought some mail this morning, Cruz, and I'm going to send some of it back with you because, uh, like this one, this is Costco uh, ad. Love Costco, but I'm going to let your parents have that. Okay, this is typically what happens every day. Okay, Citibank, don't want that. Scott's Lawn Service, probably do need that, but I'm going to let you take it. Uh, the City of McKinney, I don't know if your parents would pay my City of McKinney or my Time Warner Cable. This reminds me, uh, Time Warner Cable bill reminds me that I have a beef with them. I need to call them. Uh, so I'll, I'll go ahead and keep it. Now, if your parents would like to pay the Wells Fargo credit card, you think they will? Thank you so much. <laughs> Generous kids. Love that. Geico. Uh, yeah, I don't need Geico. Dallas Zoo. Dallas, Dallas Zoo membership might uh, think about that one. So, okay, you can take that uh, junk mail uh, back there to your parents, okay? I don't know. Maybe getting the mail isn't as exciting for you, but it, in my house, getting the mail is exciting because along with all that other stuff that immediately goes into the recycling trash can, sometimes we're excited to get something. What, what are we typically excited 
hope that is in the mail, kids. Money, grandparents, Papa and Bibi, maybe they sent some money. Maybe there's a, what, maybe an invitation to a birthday party, right? That could be something fun that comes in the mail. What else do you like to get in the mail? I mean, we don't like to get the bills, do we, parents? What else, Dane? Letters. Yeah, back in the olden days, people would write letters and put a stamp on it and send it to you. And it was so exciting to get a personal letter in the mail. It was just something everyone looked forward to. And now when I go and get the mail or my kids bring me the mail, hardly ever is there a personal letter in it. Most of the time, it's this stuff that we call what? Junk mail. And in fact, in our world today, we even have this whole thing called electronic mail. And in your parents' electronic mailbox, they have whole file folders set up for what? Junk mail or spam. Spam mail. We all love to get a letter. We all love to get something special, a special letter. But we don't like junk mail. This morning, and for the next few weeks, actually all the way probably uh, until the end of school, we are getting a chance in big church here to look at a very special letter, okay? A very special letter called Philippians, okay? So open your Bibles, <clears throat> excuse me, open your Bibles to the New Testament and find the book of Philippians, okay? This very special letter, and it is a letter written from Paul and Timothy, but mostly from Paul, and it's a letter written to this group of people, this church, in a place called Philippi. It's the letter to the Philippians. The Philippians were what we call people who live in Philippi. Just like if you live in Texas, you're a Texan. God bless Texas. Uh, if you lived in Philippi, you are a Philippian. So this very special letter we're going to spend uh, the next few months looking at. And guys, this is not junk mail. This is not spam. It is, in fact, a very special letter, a very personal letter. I got, uh, you get all that stuff in the mail, I almost forgot this. This last week, I did get a very special letter, and that was, this letter came to me when I was sick in bed with allergies and a headache, and this letter here was hand-delivered to me. I think we have a picture of it so you can see it. This letter was hand-delivered to me in bed as I didn't feel well. You can see it's a sorry you are sick, and it was hand-delivered to me by a six-year-old who wanted me to be okay. And this is not junk mail, is it? It's a special letter with special meaning from someone that I love and someone who loves me. And when we look at the book of Philippians, that's what we're looking at. We're reading a letter that's a very special letter to the church in Philippi from a very special person in their life, and that person being Paul and Timothy, okay? So Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and guess what? Today, we are going to accomplish all of one verse, Philippians 1, 1, but then in a moment, we're going to step back and look in the book of Acts as to how this church started, okay? So Philippians 1, 1 says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, 
to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Okay? That's it. That's verse 1. Next week, we'll talk a little bit about the overseers and deacons. But today, we see that this letter, just four short chapters, a couple of pages, four pages in my Bible, this short letter of Philippians is written to who? All the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Okay, so what do we know about Philippi? Well, a little background here. The, the, the letter written to the Philippians is actually one of the churches that we know the most about. Because the Apostle Paul, when he went around the world and he preached, he spent a significant amount of time in Philippi. And he also shares with us, or we find in the book of Acts, some stories about how that church was first formed, okay? So flip with me to Acts chapter 16, and we'll see this together, okay? Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, Paul is traveling around. He's telling people about Jesus. He's sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with them. And he ends up in this place called Philippi in Acts chapter 16. Now, I happen to have a map today and a handy-dandy laser pointer Here it is. Yeah. I'm excited about this. Okay? All right, kids. Here's the map. You know we all love a good map, right? Down here is what we call the Holy Land or Israel. This is where Jesus was born. This is where he ministered. You can see right there it says Jerusalem, and here is Judea. Over here is the northern part of Africa, okay? So it's like Libya and Egypt are right over here. Egypt right here. Uh, This is the Mediterranean Sea. So the Apostle Paul, he's going to travel from around here, and he's going to go all over the Mediterranean telling people about Jesus. He's actually going to go on three trips, okay? Three spring break trips. Not exactly the same at all, okay? But three trips, and when he meets the people in Philippi, and Philippi, look up here very closely, it's very small. Right there it says Philippi. He's going to meet these people in Philippi and tell them about Jesus in Acts chapter 17. This is his second missionary journey, okay? His first missionary journey starts in Acts 13. Then he comes back to Antioch, stays there for a little bit, and then this purple line here is where he journeys in his second missionary journey. Look how far that is. That's like further than Allen, further than Little Elm. Uh, He's going to go all these miles, okay? He's going to pick up his friend Timothy right here in Derby and Lystra. And then he's going to go up to the north, way up here in the north part of Asia. This is a different kind of Asia than we know now. And then he's going to sail over here and go to Philippi, okay? And I've got some helpers this morning that are going to read me a little bit about the story of the church in Philippi, how it was formed. So I want to ask them to come up now and read this for us, London. I'm you. And where's Kaysen? Right over there, Kaysen. And where's Alex? Right over here. You guys come on up here. It's London first, and then Kaysen and Alex. And I will hold the microphone for you as you guys read this. This should be on the screen too, so you can follow along. So Acts chapter 16, we're not going to read the entire chapter. It's going to be long, just these three parts, okay? But we'll start at verse 13 with London Morrison here, okay? 
And on the Sabbath day, they went outside to the gate and to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Thyatira? Thyatira. Thyatira. Very good. Uh, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what said, was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to, stay at my, or come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Okay, that's very good. I don't know what that is up there, because uh, that wasn't it. What is that? Chapter 17? Does anybody know? Chapter 13, maybe? I don't know. We can take that off, because that's not it. Okay, Acts 16. Now, where are you going to start reading, Kason? Verse 15 or 16. Okay, Acts 16, 16. The next little section, okay? As we are going to the place of prayer, we are met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and, bought, and bought, brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing for many days. Paul, having come greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas the, and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And they had brought them to magistrates. They said, these men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs and not, are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, they put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Great. And Alex? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everybody, everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud, loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into the, his house and set food before them. 
and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. Great. Would you give it up for London and Kaysen and Alex? You guys can go back to your seats. Thank you guys so much. Let me say a quick prayer, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Acts 16 here, okay? God, would you help us as we look into your word here to uh, not just understand it, but to apply it to our lives, to see the truth here? And Lord, I pray that we might rejoice in the gospel, we might trust in Jesus, and that even some of us would take the step of baptism uh, because of what Jesus has done for us. That's in his name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're in Philippians, but Acts 16 tells us the story of how the church in Philippi was formed. And it was formed basically through these three episodes that we just read about. Okay, the first episode being that of Lydia, the second one being the episode of the slave girl who is demon possessed. And then the third episode being the Philippian jailer, as Paul and Silas and probably Timothy and Luke and others are put in prison. the, the jailer comes to them, and he has an exchange with Paul, and he believes in Jesus, and then he's baptized, and then they have this celebration at his home, okay? So Philippians is a letter, but Acts is the history of how that church formed, okay? Here's a couple of things that I want to point out to us as we look at this story of how this church was formed. First of all, we see God's sovereignty, okay? We see God's sovereignty, and let me, let me point this out to you. We didn't actually read this part, okay, as if we didn't have enough to read already, but look back in uh, Acts chapter 16, 6, okay? Philippi wasn't on Paul's radar. He hadn't planned to go there, He was actually going to go to a different place, and in God's sovereignty, God directed Paul to a different place, to Philippi. Okay, so look along with me. See God's sovereignty in this, how he directs Paul's course. Verse 6, they went through the region of, I can't pronounce that, and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to another word I can't pronounce, they attempted to go into another place I can't pronounce. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Okay? You see what's happening here? They, they have some plans. Paul has a target. He's like a good dad with a destination on vacation. But his plans get interrupted. He, God, through the Holy Spirit, redirects them. He wanted to go. Put that map back up there for me if you can. He wanted to go up to the northern part Uh, of this area, Bithynia, but that's what it says according to verse 6 and following, but it says that the Holy Spirit did not, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Verse 7, do you see that? And then verse 8, and passing by, they went down to Troas. And what happens when they get here to Troas? They still are journeying. When they get to Troas, verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul at night. A man of Macedonia, that's this area over here, is is urging them, come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul has this vision, and then verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see that? Paul had plans. His plans were up here, but God had other plans. And God's plans were for Paul to go over to here, to Philippi. And then in the next chapter, we're going to see he goes to Thessalonica. 
God is sovereign over our plans. We may think, hey, I'm going to take this job. Hey, I'm going to move here. Hey, I'm going to go to this school. Hey, I'm going to play this sport. And guess what? God has other plans, doesn't he? Kyron's shaking his head over here because he just went through a huge ordeal about this with a job situation. We may we think we know what we want to do, and then God redirects us. God is sovereign over our steps, the steps of an apostle, the steps of you and I. But this is not the only place in the church in Philippi that we see this amazing sovereignty of God because we also see the sovereignty of God uh, in the next part. As, he, as, as Paul and friends go to Philippi, they decide to go to uh, the waterside, to a, a river, right? And in God's providence, in God's sovereignty, who happens to be there? Lydia and some other women who are worshiping. What that means, that they were at this place of prayer, what that means is in this Roman colony, there was not a synagogue where Jews would typically worship. There was only a place of prayer. So if you didn't have a synagogue in your city, you would just establish a place of prayer. That means there were less than 10 Jews in Philippi. To have a synagogue, you had to have 10 male Jews, and then you would build a synagogue. So there's not much Jewish influence here, but nevertheless, there are some faithful women here, notes specifically the women, that are praying God's sovereignty. As Paul enters and he goes to this place of prayer, people are there to hear his message. And where else do we see God's sovereignty with Lydia? Verse 14. Look at what happens as Paul is telling the good news of Jesus to this group of women praying. What happens according to verse 14? The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. What's that about? That's about God superintending, working on Lydia's heart, this worshiper of God. God in his sovereignty still had to work in her heart so that she could hear the gospel and then respond to the gospel. God is sovereign over what direction we go, where we move, where we work, all that stuff. We still make choices that are are real and meaningful, and yet God is sovereign over those. And then when the gospel is preached, God is also sovereign over salvation to where the Holy Spirit has to work in our hearts so that we can hear and receive the message, right? The Lord opened up her heart. That's God's sovereignty. Where else do we see God's sovereignty as we read these stories? Well, it just so happens as they go back to the place to pray after Lydia believes, as they go back to the river, they're followed by this demon-possessed slave girl, And in God's sovereignty, she's healed, but in God's sovereignty, it creates a riot. It creates a mess because this this young slave girl who used to predict things and prophesy and make money for certain business owners, their business went to sham. It just fell apart because they can no longer make money off this young girl. And in God's sovereignty, Paul and his friends go to prison. Now, if you're like Paul... If you're like me, anytime something bad happens in your life, you think, God, what have I done wrong? Why why am I now in prison? Why am I now in this bad situation? That's probably what Paul might have thought, right? But no, he was right in God's will because God had sent him to Macedonia. It was his calling. He was in the middle of God's will, and yet he was in prison. God opened, God 
redirected his trip. God opened the heart of Lydia. And as he goes in and preaches to this slave girl in God's sovereignty, he still gets put in jail for doing what he was sent to do. God, where are you in that? I'm right in the middle of it. And as he's in jail, what happens? Where do we see God's sovereignty there? Well, Paul and his friends are singing in the middle of the night. They're praising God even though they're in jail. And then what else is God sovereign over? He's sovereign over the storms. He's sovereign over the earthquake because in God's sovereignty, what happens as they're singing and and praising God in the middle of the night? An earthquake happens. And then then what? The shackles, the the stocks they were tied to, they break, they loosen. The foundation of of the jail is, is ruptured and everyone is set free. God is sovereign over our plans. He's sovereign over salvation. He's sovereign over hearts. He's sovereign over our circumstances, even the ones that seem miserable and put us in prison. And he's also sovereign over the storms. He's also sovereign over the earthquakes. And he used this to accomplish his good. That the jailer would hear about Jesus. That the other people in jail would hear them singing and praising about God. He's sovereign over it all, folks. Even when it doesn't make sense, God is working out his plan. One Pastor and author John Piper has said it like this, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you might be aware of three of them. He's constantly moving his chess pieces around the board. He's setting you up for other things. He's getting you next to that neighbor who needs you in their life. He's moving your job to plant you to be a gospel-centered, gospel-proclaiming person in that workplace. Nothing is by accident. God's sovereignty is all over this church in Philippi, the way it starts and even the way it grows. So Philippians, as Philippians 1, 6, as Paul writes this letter to him, he's going to tell them to be confident of God's sovereignty in all things, even prison. In chapter 1, verse 6, he's going to say this. He's going to say, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying? He's saying, God began the work in your heart. I know, because he redirected my steps to your city. He began the good work. He opened up your heart. And guess what? If God began the work, then God will be faithful to complete the work. And that ought to fill you up with humility as well as confidence. Because guess what? Ultimately, your circumstances and ultimately your faith are not because of your good choices or because of your bad choices, but ultimately God is at work sovereignly to open your heart, to get your attention. And if he began that work in your heart, folks, if you have trusted him, he is not gonna let go. He's not finished with you, kids. He's not finished with you, parents. He's got a good work that he is gonna complete because he's the sovereign God that started that work. Not only do we see God's sovereignty clearly in the book of Philippians and particularly here in Acts chapter 16, but we also see clearly God's salvation and our need for salvation. Salvation. Let me ask you a question here, kids. We had three people that that experienced Jesus in Philippi. The first was who? Okay, you're paying attention. That's great. Love it. What's what's the first lady's name? Lydia. Lydia. Who's the second person? Also a female. The slave girl, the demonized slave girl. And who's who's the next big character in the story? The jailer, right? 
the jailer that is so scared that the prisoners are going to get away that he's about ready to kill himself. He's so fearful. He's so scared he's about ready to take his life. Now, let me ask you a question, parents and kids. Of those three, which needed to hear the good news of Jesus? So one person, one person knows. Which, which, which one it was further from the Lord, furthest from the Lord? They're all far from the Lord. What do we know about Lydia? Lydia, it says, is from this place. She's a seller of purple goods from Thyatira. It says that she's a worshiper of God. What should we know about Lydia from that short description? First of all, she's a seller of purple goods, which were luxury goods. Lydia has got some cash. Lydia is making good money. She's got a home in Thyatira, and she's got a home in Philippi. She may even have a, a beach house along the Mediterranean somewhere. Thyatira is successful. Thyatira is put together. She's got it going on. She's confident. But she's also, she also knows that she has a spiritual need. She has a spiritual hunger. And so it says that she's a worshiper of God. She's successful. She's got money. She's got homes. She's got status in the community. But you know what else she has? She has a need for salvation, a need for Jesus. And the Bible says that she's a worshiper of God, but guess, guess what? Not everyone that's a worshiper of God is going to heaven. Not everyone that is a worshiper of God in their mind, in their understanding, truly knows Jesus, truly knows salvation. This gal, Lydia, had it all together. She had status. She was even worshiping God. She was a religious person, but guess what? Her religion, her time of prayer at the river wasn't enough. She, had still, she was still separated from God, even though she was in a place of prayer, even though she had her life together, even though maybe she was generous to other people. Being a worshiper, worshiper of God was not enough. What did she need? She needed the good news of Jesus. She needed to know that Jesus had come in time and space way over hundreds, thousands of miles away in Jerusalem and bled on a cross to pay for her sins, that she couldn't pay for her sins with her good works, with her status in the community, with the money that she gave away, by trying to be a good person, by saying her prayers. She was as lost as the slave girl and the jailer, but she looked like she really had life together. There's a lot of people that live next to you that look like they have life together. There's a lot of people in this room that have a lot of money, that have status, that their life, their marriage, their family, everything looks picture perfect. They may even worship God. They may even say prayers. They may even read the Bible. But folks, if you haven't embraced Jesus, if you haven't heard of Jesus and you haven't embraced Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you're as lost as the slave girl, you're as lost as the jailer, but you're trapped in religion. Lydia needed Jesus, Amen. not religion, and she got it. The Bible says that the Lord opened her heart. She received the word, and then what happened? She was baptized. I'll get to that in a minute. Have you been baptized? Have you trusted Jesus? Have you been baptized? Lydia, who's next in the story? The slave girl. In contrast to Lydia, the lady that has it all together, the slave girl had nothing 
She had no status in the community. She was a slave. She was trafficked by rich people making money on prophecy or whatever. She, she had no status. She had no success. She was not admired in the community. She was not a worshiper of God, even though she was saying things about Paul that were true. And I love the Bible's honesty about this. Look uh, at verse... Uh, Hold on, let me find it. Where Paul gets greatly annoyed. Look, verse 18. She kept doing that. Look how honest the Bible is, verse 18. And this she kept doing for many days, Paul having become greatly annoyed. <laughs> I mean, I love it. He's traveling around. He's, he's trying to do his ministry. And this slave girl that's possessed by demons, it says Paul, the great apostle, is greatly annoyed. And he turns and he casts the demon out of her. She was lost. She was hopeless. She had no status. She also needed Jesus. The Philippian jailer. The Philippian jailer, he's got a job. He's got a family. He's got a source of income. He's probably somewhat respected in the community. He's probably a bit older because he has this position as the jailer. He's kind of got life together. But then he's got this prisoner, and he's told, in verse 24, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. It's like, these are important prisoners, jailer. Don't let them out of your sight. Don't let them go. And what happens? An earthquake comes in the middle of the night, and they get out. And this guy who's charged with, the, with making sure everything goes right in the prison, what's his first reaction? Oh, my gosh, my... My status is over. I've lost. I've blown it in my career here. The one thing I was supposed to do and I screwed it up. I'm a failure. I messed up. I'm guilty. And so much, so much sense of guilt, so much sense of failure that what does it say that he, his attempt to do was? He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. He didn't even know the whole truth yet. He just assumed it's got to be bad, and I'm going to kill myself. I am now a failure. I'm going to be punished, perhaps killed by Roman magistrates themselves. I'm just going to take my life. And Paul says, no, don't do that. Paul saves his life. And then the Philippian jailer, jailer verse 31 says, and, uh, or verse 30, he says, he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's heard them singing. He's heard them talking about Jesus, talking about salvation. So he's, he's so hopeless that he says, okay, I've heard your story. I've heard what you've been preaching. I've heard what you've been singing about in the middle of the night. The other uh, people at the prison have been telling me, what must I do to be saved? And verse 31, in the simplest of explanations of salvation, what does it say? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you also will be saved. All three of these people were different. They had different status in life. They had different background. One of them had it all together. One of them had nothing together. And one guy had kind of arrived but was a failure, was guilty. But what they all had in common was their incredible need for the grace of Jesus. Amen. Just like all of us. 
They needed the grace of Jesus. They needed to believe in him. They needed to be transformed by that grace. And they were. And we know at least two of them were baptized publicly in response to that news, in response to their new faith. Everybody needs the gospel. The possessed, the ones controlled by demons, the ones controlled by addictions, the ones so in love with their job and so in love with their family they can't see anything else, and people that have it all together, people that are successful, people that have made money, people that are esteemed. They have those things, but what they don't have is Jesus. But all of us, Lydia's slave girls and jailers, need the good news of Jesus to change our hearts and to transform us into new people. And that's what the grace of God does. This church, these people were transformed. Do you remember how verse 1 of Philippians, how it described the church? It said, to all the saints at Philippi. Think about that for a second. Is Lydia a saint? Well, she's pretty religious. Is a slave girl, is that what comes to your mind when you think about a saint? What about the jailer? Is he a saint? These people are called saints because they put their trust in Jesus. A saint is not someone holier than all the rest of us. A saint is someone who has come to know their deep need for Jesus and has believed in him. That's what a saint is. And a jailer and a slave girl and a very successful, wealthy businesswoman were changed because of the grace of Jesus. And the grace of Jesus continued to change them, continued to, be, to finish that good work in their lives. And that's the way it is for you and me. All of us in this room need the grace of Jesus. You may be sitting next to wealthy business people. You may be sitting next to people that are so addicted and demonized by various things, they can't get out of it on their own power. And you may be sitting next to people, or you may be a person here this morning that kind of has a decent job, is respected in the community, but you have yet to believe in the Lord Jesus. You need to. The common factor of all these folks is their deep need for Jesus. And the grace of Jesus meets us where we are but does not leave us as we are. It transforms us. As we walk through Philippians in the next few months, we're going to see how it talks about the Philippians' deep generosity. They were a deeply generous people. Now, this is a hunch, but I have a feeling that Lydia who was this wealthy businesswoman, began to use her money, began to use her influence, began to use her wealth in a way that's dramatically different than she did before she met Paul. We don't have as much data about the slave girl or the jailer. We know the jailer was baptized. We know Lydia was baptized. But Philippians calls these folks saints. 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 
And what would have brought in Philippi, what would have unified a jailer, a slave girl, and a rich business lady? Not their neighborhood, not their politics, not their personalities. What would unite a slave girl, a jailer, and a wealthy businesswoman? Only a common love and a common grace that they got through Jesus. Folks, the church of Philippi, the church of Centennial Church, is a mixed bag of altogether different people from different backgrounds with different needs. But one thing in common, our deep need for the saving grace of Jesus. I want to challenge you. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never heard that before. You, 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 maybe you've been religious like Lydia, but you have never embraced the person of Jesus. Folks, religious duty is not good enough. Even on your best days, you fall short of God's standard. Even on our best days, we still need Jesus. And on our worst days, we are never too bad. We are never too far away for the grace of Jesus. We're never good enough to not need grace. We're never so bad that we're beyond his grace. Maybe you're here this morning and you're demonized. You feel guilty like the jailer. I just want to end it all. I've failed too bad. I've messed up too much. No. If you feel like a failure, if you feel like you are never good enough for God, you are at exactly the right place to receive his grace. Amen. Will you bow with me? As your heads are bowed, I want to I give you one other challenge this morning. Is a, a month from today, about four weeks from today, we're going to have a baptism party. You know, it says that Lydia invited them back to her house where they had a celebration. It says that the jailer rejoiced and was baptized, he and all of his family. And I want to challenge you this morning. Maybe you've trusted God. Maybe you've trusted in Jesus, but you've never shown that faith through baptism. I want to encourage you to talk to me after the service or shoot me an email sometime this week or talk to Brent or our children's director or one of our elders or whatever. Maybe your kids want to be baptized to show their faith in Jesus. I want to encourage you to do that. That's what these folks did. At least we know Lydia did it, and at least we know the jailer did it. The New Testament just assumes that you believe and then you're baptized. Maybe you're here this morning and you're lost, you're guilty. Maybe you've just been a religious worshiper. And it's time to embrace Jesus. I want you to just pray with me this morning. Just pray silently as I pray these words. Lord Jesus, thank you for doing for me what I could never do for, for myself. Thank you for dying on the cross and forgiving me of my sin. Thank you for rising from the grave and defeating my sin and death. I trust you now as my Savior. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love for you to talk to someone and tell them 
that you responded to the grace of Jesus today. Father God, I pray that you would be with us as we look into this wonderful letter the next few months, and I pray that you would transform us by your grace as you did those Philippian believers. Pray that we would be confident of your sovereignty, and God, that we would cling to your grace to save us and to transform us. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.